You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Witwan. All right, go with me to Psalms 107, verse 20. You know, this is the day that God has made. And the nice thing is he has given us his word to surround this day that he has made. And his words are life to all that find them. Amen? Psalms 107.20 says he sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. Let's make this a little more personal. He sent his word and healed you and delivered you from all your destructions. And I want you to notice there that destructions word is plural. I mean, we face trials more than one time in life, unfortunately. Amen? I try not to experience the same pitfalls that I experienced before. Like one old boy said, you don't learn anything new from the second kick from a horse. Amen? Amen. And um, I, I grew up on, on the farm, and I used to have... Uh, our high school was the Rams. That was the, the name of our team, the Rams. And we had this big old sheep. Now, the breed was a Rambolet, and you may not know much about that, not being that you, you were sheep herders like I was. But this ram had two full curls rack on it. So I should get a picture of old Ramrock and put him up there for you to see him. And big. He weighed over 200 pounds. He was big sheep, probably closer to 250. One time he got a little irritated and he decided to lay his horns into the side of the barn and it literally put a dent that deep into the steel barn. We were at the county fair and he was getting cantankerous, I remember one time, and he was just hammering the big post that they had in the middle. We had a big pen for him. And he kept hitting this post. And my ag teacher picked up a framing hammer. You know what a framing hammer is, right? It's, it's a big hammer they use for driving, you know, 16-penny nails into wood. It's got the bumps on the back of it. Smooth one is the finishing one. The one with the, the waffle uh, design is for framing. He grabbed that framing hammer and hit that ram square in between the head. And the ram just shook his head and looked up at him like, oh, you want me to settle down? You know, you ever watch those things in the wild? You know, the Dodge commercials, you know, where they got the ram tufts and they had the two big rams and they just, boom, hit themselves. I have no idea why I was, oh, I said, I don't want to face, I don't want to get kicked by a horse twice. Well, I got hit by him once. I got hit by him once and I learned my lesson very quickly, you know, uh, that you don't want to turn your back on a 250-pound Ram with a full set of horns. But we need to be like that in life. We need to learn from our experiences. Amen? God gave us a brain so that we could obtain wisdom, something that we can use in life, and we don't want to experience the same things in life again. I do not want to get hit by a semi-truck again. Amen? Amen. And I plan on avoiding that the rest of my life. Once is enough. I plan on not riding dirt bikes and trying to jump tabletops 
and be real cool anymore. I'm beyond that. I've learned my lesson. You know, it's really kind of funny because I've, I've had some pretty good spills on the motorbike. I've had some pretty good spills on tractor, too. I flipped one once down into a gully. You don't want to do that more than once. Um, but my buddy who, who owns horses, I think he gets worse on the horses than he or I ever did on motorbikes. You know, because horses got a mind of their own. They seem to be well-trained until they decide to not be. Amen. So I don't want to learn my experiences over again. Learning them once is enough. Well, one thing that I did learn is I learned that sin and the destructive power of sin is something that I have no desire to live with. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you that you sent your word to heal us from all of our destructions. We thank you, Lord, that you give us wisdom, that you've given us your word. Father, I ask that by the Holy Spirit that revelation come to us with regards to life and your life more abundantly. The revelation come to us with regarding your healing manifestation. That life come to our, our very souls with regards to living with wisdom, for she is the principal thing. And Father, we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory in advance for everything you're about to do in our life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. God is so good to us. Yet, you know, for the believer, it's Christmas every day. It really is. We should be experiencing the resurrection and the birth of Christ in our life every day. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a child is given. And upon him will be literally the governments of the world. See, he, he has all things reserved to himself. So the, the Bible says he created all things. All things were made by him, through him, and for him. And now he, he is seated in heavenly places, far above all principalities, powers, mights, and dominions, and everything evil that is trying to, to attack his church, he's far above it. He's over it. He has power and authority over it. And at his name, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. That means there is nothing that we don't face that he has already made provisions for. Amen? Well, we've been studying the life of Jesus and the things that he did and the things that he said and the, the importance of them for the believer. Because Jesus literally is our example. You know, I mean, the Apostle Peter is a great example. The Apostle James is a great example. The Apostle Paul is a great example. But our number one example should be Jesus. In fact, as Paul told us, to follow him as he follows Christ. And that's what I think ministers need, need to convey more often is, is that, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, but he is your example. When I don't, when I don't look like I'm following Christ, don't follow me there. You know, I am not perfect. 
And I've seen the preachers on TV, and I know they're not perfect. I've met the preachers in many of the churches around, and I know they're not perfect. But you know what we're doing? We're pressing towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And, and we should all be going there together, amen? So we need to, to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we have seen that, that just the, the hearing and doing what the Father wanted was Jesus' desire while he was here on earth. He said, what the Father says to me, that's what I do. The words that he speaks to me, those are the words that I speak to you. And so I want to be so full of the word that in my doing it exemplifies Christ, that the Father may be glorified. That in my speaking it exemplifies Christ, that the Father may be glorified. Amen? Amen. By Jesus' actions, he showed us that the Father's word has life for us. It had life for him. And he's called us to be like him. He's called us to be his disciples. That means one who is a follower of. And he said, hey, look, you know, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. You know, you become like the friends you hang around. That's my, why my circle of influence has changed over the years. It has changed over the years. Amen? I mean, there's some people that I just can't have in my sphere of friendship anymore. Because they're not going where I'm going. You know the old saying, birds of a feather flock together, right? The problem is they all fly to the same roost. They all go to the same house. They all do the same things. We're supposed to be flying as eagles, right? Mount up with wings as eagles. We're supposed to fly above the problems. The problem is most of your friends are turkeys. Yeah. Turkeys get eaten for Thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. So we have to sometimes look at those we interact with because God's word is life. And if we get around those who are not speaking God's word or those who are speaking death, it becomes contagious. Amen? Go with me to Luke chapter 6. I want to start in verse 6, and I want to read a little story that's a continuation on what we've been talking about here, but I think it's relevant for us today on, on this healing service Sunday. It says, now it happened on another Sabbath also that he, Jesus, entered a synagogue and taught. You know, it's interesting that there's, there's several stories in the gospel related to the fact that Jesus is heading into church. Now remember, Jesus at this time is about 30 years old. So he's considered very young by Jewish standards, not one of the elders. But he's entering the synagogue. See, Jesus values the Sabbath day, this day that God made for rest. He values the congregational assembly. He values it. The importance of being together corporately. 
to being able to, to worship together, to laugh together, to share together, to pray together. He values that. And we've seen that faith comes by hearing, and hearing and hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So I'm glad we have you joining us by our live stream today. I'm glad that you're maybe watching us on one of the social media sites. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the Word of God. I mean, faith is a continual process of hearing and believing. But there's also power in corporate worship. So our live stream is an incredible tool to get the gospel out so that people can hear the Word of God. So that people can come to a realization that they need Christ as their Savior, that that, that God has provided a plan for them. But I always encourage people, if they can, to be in the church on Sunday, or with the church, more appropriately, with you on Sunday, where we can fellowship together, where you can see each other, where you can, we can pray together, because there's power in that assembly. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. Now, I want you to, to realize here in Luke 6, as Jesus is in the synagogue and he comes in, there's a man there with his right hand that's withered. This is not a guest. This is somebody who has been in the synagogue for some time. And it's quite obvious as we continue reading that, that the fame of Jesus has started to spread because they knew who Jesus was. They'd, they've heard the fact that he has been going into the synagogues and reading the scriptures. And obviously, uh, he has prayed for a person or two. And, you know, the religious folks, it makes them nervous when the power of God's in an operation. I mean, it's no different today. The power of God makes the religious people nervous because they don't understand it because they don't see it operating in their life. He was known to already have this physical issue. So now he's the spotlight. He's the guy that's, you know, that's been there with the crippled hand, and now Jesus is coming in, he's sharing in the synagogue. Verse 7, so the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely. So they're watching Jesus. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. See, the devil is always looking for the opportunity to make accusations and to judge people. Even when you do what God asked you to do, even when you say the things that God has told you to say, the devil is looking for an opportunity to make accusation. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you know, uh, I think you've got this problem. And you say, that's okay, doctor, I believe that Jesus heals. And then you go and tell your friends that, hey, I believe in God for this. And they say, well, you know, my uncle had that. And here's what happened to my uncle. See, right? They're starting, they're starting to make an accusation that, that, hey, you're silly to believe because I've already seen what happens when other people have this. See, the devil's looking to make an accusation. They're starting now to condemn you for your faith. The devil is always looking for an opportunity 
to make accusation and to judge you. In John 8, 44, it says, you are of your, because you know, Jesus, remember, he confronted the Pharisees. They said he had a demon, and Jesus said, you know, you guys are just satanically nuts. I mean, that's really what he said to him. He says, you've been following Satan so long that he's just made you nuts. You don't know truth from a lie. And he says, you're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and he's the father of it. See, now people don't even realize that they are being used by the father of this world, Satan, the devil. Call him the accuser. Call him whatever you want to. They don't realize it. They're being well-meaning. Right? That's what they think they're being. But see, what they're, they're doing is they are bringing an accusation in order to get you to change your belief in what the Word said. The Bible calls this a while of the enemy. Remember, that's why we're supposed to hold every thought captive, you know, when they say, oh, you poor thing, uncle so-and-so was like that, and he only lasted six months, right? I mean, they're well-meaning. Well, first off, I ain't poor, so I'm going to hold that thought captive. And I don't care what some unbelieving uncle happened to him. I'm going to hold that thought captive. And I'm going to replace it by the transforming or the renewing of my mind with God's Word. Because the devil is a liar, and he has been since the beginning, and it's all he can do because that's all that is within him. Right? And those who bring those kind of accusations to get you, to get you into doubt, to get you into unbelief, to get you into that, don't even know it, but they're unwittingly being used on behalf of the spirit of the Antichrist. Verse 8. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to the man who, was, who had the withered hand, Arise, stand here. So the man arose and stood. See, faith requires action. Right? James 2.17. Faith without corresponding action is dead. I mean, there's people that go, well, he believed. Well, what did he do about it? Well, no, he just believed. He just believed. Abraham, it says, believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. Why? Because he took corresponding action. Faith requires corresponding action. Otherwise, it's just a wish. You know, you can watch any Disney movie and learn about wishing. But faith requires corresponding action. It requires an action that corresponds to that which you're believing for. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things not yet seen. But because we have the title deed to it, we've got to take action to take possession. 
You know, it's like if somebody called you up and said, hey, I, I'm giving you a new Rolls Royce. Okay, wonderful. And you went around telling everybody you got a new Rolls Royce, but you never went and got the thing. You never really had a Rolls Royce because you didn't take corresponding action to lay hold of it. Right? So we need to take the corresponding action. So Jesus had him stand up. Now, the man must have known. I mean, he'd been in the synagogue for some time. He knew that the Pharisees didn't allow anybody to do anything. You know, I guess there was a reprieve if your donkey fell in a ditch, right? That you could get the donkey out of the ditch. Yeah, which one of you, having a donkey that fell in a ditch, wouldn't pull it out on the Sabbath day? Amen? I mean, you took action that was needed in order to resolve the problem or the issue you had. Well, here's a man who has been in this synagogue for years with a withered hand, and nobody has pulled him out of a ditch. And so here's Jesus. He's ready now to take on and confront because this man was willing to take a corresponding action. He stood. I mean, it's no different than the woman with the issue of blood. You remember that story. Here's a woman with an issue of blood. By the law, she was declared unclean and could literally be stoned to death for being out in contact with people of the day. But what does the Bible say? The Bible said that she believed that if she could get to Jesus and but touch the hem of his garment, she would be made well. Well, it wasn't going to happen sitting at home. She had to take a corresponding action in order to touch the hem of his garment. What about blind Bartimaeus? You remember the story of him. Here's blind Bartimaeus. He's sitting on the side of the road in beggar's clothes. And he hears that Jesus is coming by. So it says he cries out, Jesus! And they say, shh, quiet. Hey, shh. Can't be, can't be, can't be yelling like that. And it says he yelled all the more. He couldn't see him because he was blind, but he took corresponding action. He called out and said, Jesus. And so Jesus looked at him and said, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, think about that. Here's Jesus. It's a guy who's got beggar's clothes on and is blind. But see, he had to have corresponding action. His words were his corresponding action. That I might see. What about the centurion? You remember the story of the centurion? It's actually in the same chapter as the woman with the issue of blood. You know, he's got a child at home that, that's dying. He needs, he needs Jesus, right? And now Jesus is interrupted with a woman with an issue of blood, and he can't get him to come to his house. Do you remember when he took corresponding action and said, Hey, I am a man of authority. I tell this soldier to go, and he goes. I tell this one to come, and he comes. He says, Jesus, just speak your word. This is a centurion. And Jesus' greater faith have I not found in all of Israel. See, faith takes corresponding action. Verse 9. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Now, see, the Pharisees haven't even asked him anything, but, you know, Jesus, remember Isaiah chapter 2 says the spirit of wisdom, understanding, and revelation would be upon him. Jesus perceives they, they have a plot. 
And so Jesus says, let me ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy life? Now, see, that's, that's perplexing to a religious leader who's, talking, who's supposed to be teaching about the law and how God loves them and how it's God's desire that they be the head and not the tail, that they be above and not beneath, that they prosper in, their, in the city and in the country and in their coming in and they're going out and the fruit of their basket and the, you know, and the fruit of their kneading bowl and, and, and that their cattle and their flocks and their herd. So the, the Pharisees are teaching this, right? From Deuteronomy, what the blessing of God is. And so now Jesus says, hey, is it, is it better on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save life or destroy it? Now the Pharisees are really in a tight spot. Remember when he asked him about John, the, the uh, Baptist, right? John the Baptist. Is he a prophet? Well, they couldn't say no because they were afraid of what? The people. But they couldn't say yes because, because of them. They created a big stir. And therefore, you know, it made it easy for, you know, nobody was there to protect John, you know, when... Um, Herodias said, hey, I want his, or his daughter said, I want his head on a platter. There was nobody there to protect him. They didn't believe he was a prophet. They didn't want the, the uprising, right? So now here the Pharisees are caught again. Jesus said, hey, is it good to restore life or to destroy it? See, Jesus always asked questions he knew the answer to. You know, they say that the good lawyers do the same thing. They never ask a question they don't know the answer to. Business people in negotiations generally only ask questions that they know answers to. Why? Because Jesus showed that there is wisdom in asking questions because it puts people in a bind. They can't lie to you because you already know the answer. See, the Sabbath was made for man's restoration, and Jesus knew that. But see, the, the Pharisees were bound by, by the law. And in Exodus 31, it says that for all generations, verse 16, that the Sabbath shall be observed. But see, God created the seventh day, and he said that, that it was the day that he rested. It was the Sabbath day. It was the day of rest. But see, he said that the seventh day of rest was not made to put people in bondage. It was made to free people. It was made to restore people. It was, it was made to be a day that people would regenerate themselves. You know, most of Israel was pretty hard working. They were an agrarian society. They were working from, from sunup to sundown. Man, when they were in Egypt, they did some work. Amen? Building bricks. And, and, um, but in uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus said, hey, look, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, so I understand this principle. That God made this Sabbath, this, this day that we are here as a congregation, this day of rest. He made it for man's restoration. Therefore, you've got a man with a withered hand. Isn't this what God made this day for, his restoration? 
Isn't this what God made this day for? That's why we set aside, we set aside the resurrection day, Sunday. Not, not Saturday, but it is the day that we call our day of rest. This is our Sunday. This is our day we come to be restored. It's the day we come to be refreshed. It's the day we come to be renewed. This is the, come, the day that we come to get back into in, in a connection with God. Because sometimes just the busyness of life interrupts that. But Jesus says, hey, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is a good day for healing, right? Verse 10. And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man. Now, obviously, none of them said anything because they knew that it was a trap. They knew, they knew he knew the answer to this question. He said, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. See, what Jesus literally did to this man is introduced him to his covenant promise see the man already had a covenant with God for healing he already had the promise in Exodus 23 verse 25 God promised to take sickness away from the midst of them in Psalms 91 he said there would be no plague that would come near your dwelling. See, God had already established a covenant with Israel, but you know what? The religious leaders wouldn't allow anything on Saturday to be done that they saw as a work. They thought laying on of hands, healing was a work, and therefore, there are six other days. I always love, I love the scripture where the, the Pharisees go, there are six other days in which man can be healed. He's been in your church like the woman had been in the church 18 years. It's like, yeah, that's a lot of six other days, 18 years, 52 weeks. What were you doing? And now you're mad at Jesus. Well, that's the way of the world is also. You know, I mean, I've, I've heard it. I, you know, I don't listen to it, but I've heard it. I've, you know, the, the thing they call the Bible Answer Show or something, the Bible Answer Man, you know, talking about all the reasons why anybody who believes in the gifts of the Spirit and the manifestation of God in today is all wrong. So you can find reasons to not believe. That's easy. Anybody can find reasons to believe. But Jesus said his words... Our life. His words are eternally life. They do not fade. They do not fade. So, so Jesus introduced the man to the covenant promise. Exodus, oh, I just quoted this. Exodus 23, 25. Let's go ahead and read it. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water, and he will take sickness away from the midst of you. That's a promise. In Isaiah 53, 5, they had the promise of the Messiah. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. See, even before Jesus was manifest, Isaiah said, by those stripes, you are healed. That's present tense. Verse 11. What happened, they were filled with rage, and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. I mean, this same thing that manifests with a woman who had the infirmity 18 years. 
The same thing that manifests with the woman caught in adultery. Right? They always had a reason. The same thing with the man who was the cripple at the gate called beautiful. And that didn't even happen in Jesus' life. But what I've noticed is that God's miracles are greatest in times of maximum resistance. When you have maximum resistance in life. Whether it's your maximum, your, your, your body is pushed to the physical max, whether you're facing the greatest uh, need physically, whether you're, you're facing the greatest need financially, whether you're facing the greatest need relationally, where, where the world has no answers for the problem. It's the greatest resistance. Where your family is, is not on board. I, I don't know how many of you have listened to Brother Kenneth um, Hagin's uh, testimony of when he had his blood disease when he was 12 years old. He had great resistance. Not only did he have a blood disease, but he had a family that didn't believe that he could get out of the bed and be healed. And he stumbled on to Mark chapter 11, verses 22, 23, and 24. And it became revelation to him. And in his greatest challenge, when his greatest uh, opposition was there, God manifest himself through an incredible miracle. I mean, I remember in my life, after my you know, accident with the semi-truck, when they told me that I would, would never be able to play sports again, I'd never walk right again, my body would be this, my body would be that, I faced a maximum resistance. But I, I had one good thing. I had a great wife, and I had a family, and I had a, a church who was willing to stand and believe with us. But I was facing some maximum resistance. You know, I've been an athlete all my life. I was a varsity baseball coach at the time. Maximum resistance. Would I ever be able to get back on the baseball field? Would I be able to, to minister the gospel? Would I be able to do the things that I was doing before? Maximum uh, resistance. In fact, as I was laying there, in the, I remember being in the hospital... And they were going to discharge me, and I wanted to, I didn't want to be closed on the following Sunday when I was getting out. And my wife said, no, you're not, you're not going to church, you're not preaching, you're not doing whatever. And then we had snow. We had snow, and we had to close, we had to close church because of snow. So I couldn't go even if I wanted to. But maximum resistance will face in life at times of God's greatest miracles. See, if, if you can do it in your own ability... God expects you to. Amen? If you can do it in your own ability, God expects you to. Proverbs 10.4 and 2 Thessalonians 3.10. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. God's saying, get out and do something in your own ability. I've given you abilities. I've given you a brain. I've given you the, the ability to do stuff you can do on your own. But, but there is a scriptural basis. If you can't do it in your own ability, God still expects you to do it. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, we'll talk about it in a little bit. God still expects you to do what you can't do in your own ability. Absolutely. But he certainly expects us to do what we can do in our own ability. Because that doesn't take faith. That just takes action. Amen? But God's greatest miracles manifest themselves in times of maximum resistance. Go with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, I want to kind of read a paraphrase 
uh, version from this story here. Verse three, or chapter 3, verse 2. Acts 3, verse 2. It says, There was a certain man lame from his mother's womb. He was, car- was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered into the temple. He had been there a long time. Think about this. He had been there a long time, over 40 years, which means he was sitting at the gate beautiful when Jesus came in and out. And he's still sitting there at the gate beautiful. Now jump down with me to verse 3. It says, Who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them their attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said to him, Hey, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, this was beyond Peter's own ability. This was beyond John's own ability, but not beyond their ability by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why I'm saying that that if you can't do it in your own ability, it doesn't mean God doesn't expect you to do it. Because he's empowered us with the Holy Spirit, and he expects us to take action in accordance with that. We're people of faith. And again, the religious people were all bent out of shape, looking to make an accusation. Go with me over to, the, to chapter 4, verse 17. And here, here the Pharisees say, but so that it won't spread any, any further among the people, let us severely threaten this Peter and uh, John. From now on, they speak in no man, they speak to no man in this name, the name of Jesus. So the Pharisees make an accusation against them and say, you're not allowed to speak in the name of Jesus. But see, God's greatest miracles maximize themselves in times of resistance. In Acts 4.30, they are reunited with their group, Peter and John, and their prayer says, Jesus, by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done. Through the name of your holy servant Jesus. See, they believed in the power of God. They believed in the manifestation power of God. No matter what the resistant forces were. See, it doesn't matter to me what other people say about whether God can heal or not. I've seen the manifestation of God in my own life. But I've seen it here at Valor. And I've seen it when we were traveling doing healing. I have seen it. You cannot take that away from me. God is still in the healing business. And he set before us each life and death and told us how to respond. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, he says, choose life. Proverbs 18, 21 says that we have death and life in the power of our words. And in John 10, 10, he said that he came that we would have life and that we would have it more abundantly. So I say, now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may be able to speak your word. That then he would stretch out his hand to heal and signs and wonders would be name, done in the mighty name of Jesus. I want the power of God to operate in everything that we do. We have his word on it. If there's anyone sick among us, it says, call for the elders of the church. Let them lay hands on the sick. The prayer of faith will save the sick and raise them up. 
The Apostle John says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Psalms 103.3 says, Who forgives all our iniquities and heals us from all our diseases. In Proverbs 4.22, it says, For the word of God is life to all those who find them, and health to all their flesh. And 1 Peter 2.24 says that he bore his sin, our sins in his own body, that we, having died to sin, might live to righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. See, we received our healing 2,000 years ago. We received it when Christ took upon himself our sickness, our disease. When he took upon us our iniqui- uh, upon him our iniquities, our, our confusion. He took it all. And he said that our job is to believe. And this morning, that's what we're going to do. If you need healing in any area of your life, physically, mentally, financially, we serve a God of more than enough. And this morning, I'm, my wife and I, we're, we're going to pray with you. And not only pray, we're going to believe. Because he says, if you only believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So if you need prayer this morning, I want to invite you to come so that we can join our faith with yours. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. Hallelujah. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwab. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, According to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480 480- That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com. Or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.